Abundant health is what we strive for. Broccoli and walkers are not something we're going to be talking about today when we talk about health. We're not going to be talking about getting enough rest or getting enough sleep. But there's other influences besides those that can really significantly affect health. So we're going to look at a couple of those. Uh, God created us as holistic beings. We're not just what we eat and what we do. There's a lot of other elements around us and in us that interact to give us health, to experience an abundant uh, life. So we're going to look at some of those today. We are more than flesh and blood. Let us pray. Gracious and loving Father, be with us now, I pray, as we consider this topic again of health, the health that you have given us, that you have given us information and advice and wisdom to be able to manage. But also that a lot of things are beyond our control. Help us to look at what we can change and change them. Courage to accept those things we can't change and above all the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Benjamin Franklin has this little uh, ditty that people often think comes from the Bible. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Certainly, it isn't in Scripture in, in that way, but you will still find it in Scripture the sentiments of that verse. We're going to use a smattering of scripture as well as um, some of the wisdom of people in past ages as they speak to the topic of health. Mahatma Gandhi said, it is health that is the real wealth and not pieces of gold or silver. Again, we've seen similar sentiments in the Bible to that as well that he was given wisdom around health and peace and what life is about. 3 John 1 is one we often quote. I often use in Sabbath school. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. We need to have that soul component to... Um, increase our physical health. Looking for physical health, as I tell our ladies, mostly ladies, some gentlemen, in cooking school, if you are going to get healthy, suppose it kills you, it probably will. Because it's more than just what you eat and what you drink and what you do. It's something inside us that we need that's beyond that. And hopefully we'll see some of those pieces that influence us today. The World Health Organization, the, the definition they have for health, a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely, merely the absence, absence of disease or infirmity. There's more to health than just not being sick. It's a dis-ease of our being sometimes that's outside of our, um, an actual dis-ease. 
a few years ago, um, they came out with what's called social determinants of health, items outside of um, our choices sometimes. Social and economic uh, environment really can affect our health. Uh, that applies in Canada as much as it does in some of the third world countries. Without adequate education and um, resources, people are not always able to get ahead to be healthier. Something we need to consider. The physical environment around us affects our health. And we hear more about that now that we're going through this um, virus that they think may become a pandemic. The environment around us can affect um, whether we will come down with that part of the uh, influences that are out there. And then a person's individual characteristics and behaviors, which is sometimes where we put all the emphasis, but there's other items as well. Deepak Choka says, the way you think, the way you behave, the way you eat can influence your life in 30 to 50 years. It isn't always right now that we suffer the consequences of some of our poor choices. It's down the road that some of those things. Is everything within our control? No. Uh, I don't know who said something to the effect, the only thing that's guaranteed? Taxes and death. So some things will happen to us because we live in a world of sin. They're beyond our control. What's creation health? Creation health is a program that's a lifestyle transformation program that's designed to help people live to the fullest by focusing on eight universal prin principles of the whole person's health that God originally gave at creation. It is a program put together by Florida Hospital uh, in Florida, uh, an Adventist hospital, and it looks at the whole person. So when someone comes in sick with diabetes, they look more at more than just the, a medical model of, of um, treating that uh, condition. They look at the whole person. There's the elements that are included in that. Number one, it, it just uses the acronym CREATION. Choice, rest, environment, activity, physical activity, trust, interpersonal relationships, outlook, and nutrition are the elements that they look at in their model. Slightly different than the New START acronym that a lot of you may be familiar with that we, that we use and that is explained in Ministry of Healing. And we're going to look at two of those elements. And like I said, it's not the broccoli and the walking. It's looking, one we're going to look at is environment. Environment includes the space around us, anything in our external space. Sight, sound, smell, touch, all influence our health. Those are some of the things. The larger picture may look at uh, water and um, can't see the word. Air quality, air and water quality, sorry. Uh, so there's a lot of things there besides what we sometimes think of. And then light, sound, aroma, touch, all those things can affect 
our being. We have put in place or attempt to put in, a pl- in place in the Belleville Church ascent policy. Unless you've ever been bothered by a scent that somebody is wearing, a perfume, an aftershave, body spray, anything in that line, you may not realize how significantly it can impact some people. We have several people in our congregation who do become physically ill because of scents, and we've asked people to avoid when you come to church wearing scents for that reason. It is a disability for some people, and in years past, we have had a couple of people who refrain from coming to church because of the sense, and it really caused them illness. So it is worth considering, sort of as a side note. Next one is John Muir says, everyone needs beauty as well as bread, places to play and to pray where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul. So we often think of we need enough food, we need shelter, but there's those other places that uh, increase health, improve health that we need to think about, places of beauty as well as the functional things. Genesis said the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden and he put the man he had formed where we put the man he had formed. So the environment of Eden is vastly different in every respect from where we live today. Outlook is the other item, and outlook looks at, it colors our perspective. It looks at those things around us and how we interact. The attitude affects our health, whether you've ever given it any thought that If you're a pessimist or an optimist, it will affect your health. It does. A gift you give to yourself. A heart to focus on possibilities and not problems. It is a gift. It colors how you see things. It affects what goes on inside your body. It is very important. We'll talk a bit more about each of those. Okay. First Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We'll look at that a bit more a little bit later, but that's part of outlook. And Ellen White said, a person whose mind is quiet and satisfied in God is on the pathway to health. So again, that quiet mind satisfied in our relationship with the Lord and we're on our way to health. Even if we don't always get those things we think we want or even deserve sometimes. We can't um, dictate always what we're going to get. So we'll look a bit more at the environment piece. The external space outside of us affects what happens with inside of us. And all of our senses, as I mentioned, sight, smell, sound, touch, and taste can influence our mood as well as our health. I'm going to look at a couple of studies um, that have been done in various areas around this. A few examples uh, from a while ago, Pavlov's dogs. Most of you have probably heard about them. They did experiments. It's a long 
long, 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 long time ago, they did these experiments with the dogs. They looked at that they know, and if you've had a dog, you know if he sees something good, he'll often begin to drip because he really, his saliva is running and he, he knows he's going to get a treat and he's excited. And Brother Banks can testify. Brother Banks has had a few dogs over the years. But they found they could trigger that response by teaching the dog to equate getting fed, getting a treat, with a bell sound. But when they discontinued the treat and just gave the bell, the dog will still salivate because he had acquainted the two together. So an example of how the environment affected the dog. Clone, um, Sloan Kettering Hospital did some follow-up research with cancer patients who had been in for treatment. When they came back for follow-up, even though they weren't receiving treatment, the, the sight of the area, the smells that they may smell, the staff they would see would trigger a response. And often they would feel physically ill or recall things that happened in their body as they were under treatment, as if they were still going through that treatment. Um, Post-traumatic stress, a similar type of thing happens. Even though people, for example, may come back, soldiers may come back from war, and there's no war going on, a backfiring car, a certain sound, or even a word may trigger something in their brain, and suddenly they're in a panic, to the point that they can't cope because they think they're back in a war zone and they're not able to cope. People can receive or develop post-traumatic stress following a car accident, for example, or um, some traumatic event. Something that to someone else may, they'll just sort of shrug it off. They become much more aware of it now, but when you look back at soldiers from World War I, they would come back with what they were calling shell shock. The same thing, that it was probably that post-traumatic stress they were going through. I remember my dad... Um, having episodes usually when he was drinking, talking about things that went on the war that weren't right, that he was forced to do or given the situation he had to endure or to see and it was something that bothered him all his life when he looked at that and I'm sure now when we look back that's what it was. Uh, men that came back from Vietnam that were never able to cope afterwards because they weren't able to come to grips with that, uh, those events and leave them behind. Another aspect of environment is clutter. Whether we realize it or not, a cluttered environment can zap energy, drain our strength, and deplete our sense of peace when there's a lot of clutter around. Is there... Um, even after you clean the house, do you still see piles of magazines or closets stuffed with clothes you never wear? The sorts of things that are there that can really drain strength and, and take away our peace. A simple, clean environment helps to clear the mind and create a greater sense of peace. Perhaps having things around that um, bring you enjoyment. Pictures of family and friends, for example, it may be pictures of nature. It may be a piece of art, something that is very subjective. 
a cluttered environment, as you can see from this picture, that can be very draining. And even though you may not be aware that it's draining your, your, your system, once it's changed and things are in order, it really makes a big difference. Corinthians 14.40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. Our God is a God of order. And we can see that both in creation as well in other of the stories in, in Scripture, that things are in, are in order. The, the skin and t uh, power of touch is another element of our environment that God gave us skin. Skin is the largest organ in our body. And we can respond positively to touch. It's the reason we often will shake hands. You're making connection or giving a person a hug. That that will make a difference. Working in AIDS program many years ago, back in, in the early days of AIDS when people were quite terrified of catching it, um, that often when someone was diagnosed, it was a, a very socialized, uh, social isolating experience. And people, particularly as they became more ill, really would say, all I want is someone to hug me. People with cancer in the early days, and even in some places now where education is low, they don't get hugged, they don't get touched. And that, I think, makes them sicker because of that than if someone would look at the facts, know that you're not going to catch it by giving someone a hug. Um, in the days of our viral um, um, flus and one thing or another that's on the go at the moment, we might have to refrain from some touching and close contact in those seasons and they look at hand bumps and things. That's sort of the exception to the rule. We're looking at that bigger picture where the physical touch is very important. Um, people need to be touched to survive. When we look at babies um, that don't get touched, they will go into a depression and often they will die. There were some experiments done um, back in the 30s, 40s, as to if children were given adequate care, would they be fine? Well, they discovered very soon that if the babies weren't picked up and cuddled and held, just giving them food and uh, changing their diaper wasn't adequate. They needed that touching and cuddling. And even today, they really look at that as an aspect of parenting and mothering that you hold and cuddle that baby. Okay, the next one. Moved by pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will make you clean. And he, he healed the man. Be clean. Sometimes touch can be in that word as well as in that physical touch. Uh, a word will signify you've touched somebody. A look can signify that you've made contact with someone. Um, something else I was thinking of around the touch. Anyway, it might come back. Thank you. We'll move on. <laughs> Sound. 
sound is something that has a big effect upon people. And we don't think of it. It's become, if we look at the, um, what would have been in the Garden of Eden, for example, Adam and Eve became accustomed to living to the natural rhythms of life, which our lives don't always uh, abide by. They rose at the sun and slept with the stars. There was that natural rhythm that was there. They worked six days and rested the seven, the rhythm of the week. This is what you do. You go through these things. They grew and gathered most of their food. There was a rhythm to the seasons. They had their music, the melody of nature, the rhythm of sound in their lives, the natural sounds of nature. Today, it's much different with the constant hum and blur and murr of of, um, electronic devices, screens that are available 24-7. Our 21st century society, comments Stephen Halpin, a contemporary musician, the noise level is such as it keeps knocking our bodies out of tune and out of the natural rhythm. The ever-increasing assault of sound upon our ears and our minds and our bodies adds to the stress of civilized beings trying to live in a highly complex environment. There's the sound always, and trying to find a place of peace doesn't, or silence doesn't always work. Some of the effects of this particular study looked at uh, sound, uh, traffic sounds, uh, cognitive functioning. People couldn't think. And maybe you've been in a situation, my mother would always often say when us nine kids were making noise and she was trying to do something, she was said she, she was mesmerized. <laughs> and I, in, with only two sometimes or busy doing things, I would could appreciate what she meant by just being mesmerized, just not able to cope because of the amount of noise that was around. Blood pressure goes up with, with constantly being bombarded by noise. The nervous, automatic nervous system. Certain things happen within our bodies that uh, we don't understand. It changes our immune system, that sort of thing. It automatically happens. Um, stress, higher levels of stress, and we, we something. Sometimes we will feel that, and other times we won't. Just not being able to cope so much. Health, our health suffers, and sleep, being unable to sleep, or um, sleeping too much because of the effects of noise. If you're trying to restore a natural rhythm. You can look at um, recordings of natural uh, sounds of nature. Some of them have music connected with them, just as a little way of having some of those more pleasant natural sounds. And most people that have trouble with sleeping find if they can use that as a background noise rather than the mechanical types of things that it does help them. Or they can just sit back and relax with that. One thing that we all need, of course, is silence. And we often need a spot of silence if we're really trying to make that connection with God. If there's the little sounds all going around, sometimes it's hard to concentrate 
I'm listening. Is God talking to me? Is there something that I should be getting from this verse or this study that I'm not? So looking at having that uh, sound sense that it, that's there for the sounds um, that we need to eliminate and, and the ones we need to enhance. Uh, recently, it was on CBC, there were some studies done in Toronto looking at people that live near high noise areas, both, both um, uh, traffic, car traffic, vehicle traffic, as well as airplane noises for people living near the airport. And they found sometimes people thought they got used to it, but when they did long-term studies, they found no. Even when you think you're doing fine with all this noise going on, your body inside this automatic nervous system response is still working. So even when we don't think it's affecting us, this excess noise is making a difference. One of those things we need to, to think about. Okay. William Penn said, true silence is the rest of the mind and is to the spirit what sleep is to the body. Nourishment and refreshment. So we need that time of silence. Being it, going out, walking in a, a green area or finding some silence at home. Nature. Nature is an element that we do need. And we'll look at some of the research here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, nature and revelation alike testify to God's love. Our Father in heaven is the source of life, of wisdom, of joy. Look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. And that's from Ministry of Healing. Um, if, if you want more Ministry of Healing quotes, I have lots. And I think if you look at or Ministry of Healing or Spirit of Prophecy, but Ministry of Healing has lots that connect nature with our health, and particularly the health of our children. And I think that's where we might be going next. Um, first of all, when we look at Jesus' teaching, we see him using illustrations from nature. And if we look in the Psalms, we'll often see the nature illustrations, like the ones from the first couple of verses of, of Psalms. Blessed is the man, and we leave out the piece in the middle there, who um, doesn't walk rightly, but the one whose mind, uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and upon, upon his law he meditates day and night. The person is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in due season. And whatever, uh, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So just those images that, as you get out in nature, you can see. You can see the complexity and the simplicity that's there. Uh, and one four: the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. And if you haven't seen the wind blowing dust or uh, blowing tumbleweed for those that have been through some parts of the states or a dust storm, then you don't appreciate what this verse is saying about just being blown away. Job, one of my favorite little things from Job, but now ask the beasts and they will tell you. And the birds of the air and they will tell you, sorry, teach you and tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you 
who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? When you look at, you know, the power in those words to say that the power of nat- that nature has. One of my favorite poems, whether you're familiar with it from a mm, long time ago. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and spreads her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, a bond whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Joyce Kilmer. So again, looking at his interpretation of scripture, of, of scripture, of his experience with nature that's around. Some of the research done, the first couple of slides are about children. Um, cognitive effective moral development in children are impacted significantly and positively by connection with nature. And that doesn't necessarily take, you know, taking them out in a formal setting, but even being allowed to go out and roam and play on their own. Any of you older adults, I'm sure, has played in the woods and run around and that kind of thing. We play what we played what I call now politically incorrect cowboys and Indians. You'd go around, and often the only gun you had was that, your finger, and you're shooting people because within a month of Christmas, most of the guns, cowboy guns we got were broken. So but you'd use a stick or something, but then the person that you shot would have to negotiate whether or not they were dead. No, you just ninged me. You didn't shoot me. So again, it's not set rules. They had to negotiate these things. So being out in nature helps this, that independent thinking, um, negotiating, setting rules. Exposure to the natural environment improves children's cognitive development, their way of thinking, improving their awareness, their reasoning, their observational skills, something that children need. And it's something that they develop naturally when they're outside rather than trying to teach them those same sorts of things in a classroom. It helps children develop the power of observation and creativity and um, instills a sense of peace and being at one with the world, something we need. Early experiences in nature are linked with the development of imagination and a sense of wonder. There's nothing else like wonder that stimulates that child to lifelong learning. And that's something, uh, the lifelong learning is something that comes out in the elements of um, um, the creation acronym. When you look at one of the others, they look at that lifelong learning. This is a separate study from theirs. Uh, Francis did a bunch of studies with adults looking at uh, stress reduction. And the people in this particular experiment uh, were given some difficult math problems, and then they had a spell where they would um, go to different environments and see how they recovered. Um, 
looking at a tree refreshes the ability to concentrate, allowing the residents in this particular building to better deal with their problems. There is something inherently restorative about natural setting places. Natural setting, places without people, are good for the mind. This study actually, I think, was the one where in an apartment building, the people that lived on the side of the building that looked out at a park did much better than the people at the back of the building that only saw another building when they looked at a bunch of factors and interviewed them. Another study that was done, some people walk through a standard land, a cityscape and others walk through an arboretum. I think these were the people that were stressed with math problems. People who had walked through the nature, through nature were in a better mood and scored significantly higher uh, on the test of attention and working memory. It is good, it's a good idea to build some greenery into our life. It's often called horticultural therapy and it works for people. What does nature give us? What does God give us in nature? Relaxation and stress reduction. Decreased fatigue, mental fatigue, increased um, sense of well-being. Recovery from surgery, physical health and healing. Certainly the horticultural therapy, I think, was initially sort of suggested for people um, after surgery who had money to go south somewhere, and they realized these people got better much quicker. And it often it was because of that natural environment. Recovery from surgery, physical healing, a bit did that. Benefits to children's attention span and development. Developing those things we mentioned before. Respect for nature and the environment. Being able to study that firsthand made a big difference when they were actually out there and enjoying it. Albert Einstein, look deep into nature and then you will understand everything better. A man whose who's walk, walk in Christianity would not have been high, but certainly he knew where the strength in this world was, and that was in nature and seeing that. Lord Byron, uh, an author from a long time ago, there is pleasure in the pathless woods, there is rapture in the lonely shore. There is society where none intrudes by the deep sea and the music of its roar. I love not man less, but nature more. Just that company, that peace, that connection that can be there to clear minds and make people um, function at a higher level. Our outlook, how we look at things. Outlook affects how we perceive the world. Is it a good place? Is it a bad place? Is it safe? What we think of ourselves, of people around us, our job, our home, our friends. Everything falls into that outlook. It colors. It can color it bright and cheerful. It can color it very dreary. Tom Stoddard, Stoppard said, a healthy attitude is contagious, but don't wait to catch it from others. Be a carrier of that positive attitude. Okay. 
Dr. Richard Davidson of the University of Wisconsin. Um, studies suggest that simply thinking positive thoughts can turn on the side of the brain linked to improved immunity. Uh, this one, oops. It increased the number of natural killer cells that uh, are in the body with just thinking those um, positive thoughts being positive in, in a patient's outlook. And they've known that a long time for people that were more positive, even with a significantly you know, precarious uh, diagnosis, did much better if they remained positive. Men did it mean everything was going to go great? Not necessarily, but they generally did better. Another uh, doctor did some research and found personal expectations a significant predictor of HIV progression, especially when a person uh, with a pessimistic outlook um, experienced loss. If they were more able to see the positive that was still there rather than just become even more depressed, it didn't work as well. HIV clients who remained uh, positive, who made healthier choices because they were more positive, um, did better. I had a client who received his diagnosis, expected to be dead in a few months. What did he do? He went out and maxed out all his uh, expense or credit cards buying everything and anything he wanted. And in his own words, he said, you know, suddenly one day I realized I got a lot of bills and Larry is still here. So yeah, and then having to face all of that as well as to cope with your disease. So yes, the positive outlook can put things into perspective. Research has shown that gratefulness, one of those two elements that make outlook um, more productive, gratefulness. Research has shown that people who are regularly, regularly listed what they were thankful for and ex experienced higher levels of optimism, alertness, enthusiasm, determination, attentiveness, and energy levels than those that didn't. They were thankful. When we, when we try to convince people to be, to list the things they're thankful for. Yes, life is a mess, and life stinks sometimes, but if you can look at the positives that are still there, instead of just at, as they say, the cup is half empty already, look at what's still there. You know, there's still things there. One of those is a very positive. Grateful people, uh, are less depressed and stressed. Um, they don't deny or ignore the bad things that are going on, but they're somehow able to move past that. They can see past the bad things that are happening right now. They're more enthusiastic, they're more helpful, and they're more generous. Um, and as has been mentioned by several people who asked me how Brenda's doing, and, and she's certainly not doing well. But over the years since Brenda's been sick, I don't think there's anybody that 
that displays this more fully, that Brenda was aware of how ill she was, but she was ever positive, she was ever thankful, she was ever ready to praise the strength that she had in her Lord. Any of us, and Dia knows her very well, and, and Clova knew her very well. She was a prayer sister for Clova. Um, for, well, they've, been, they've continued after our, our uh, prayer sister of a couple of years ago. So Brenda was very much able to see and is on, on her good days able to see the strength that she has in the Lord despite the situation that she's in that sin puts us all in situations that are not necessarily our sin, but just the fact that we live in a sinful world, that it's there. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies. So all we do, we can be thankful for what he's given us and the blessings we do have. Philippians 4, 6 is another one. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The thanksgiving, the gratitude to reaching out to others, it certainly gives us much, as much benefit as it does to the people that we reach out to. And Proverbs 17, 22, one that we, we, most of us know, a merry heart works good like a medicine, but a downcast spirit dries up the bones. And you know how um, incapacitated you feel sometimes when something has happened that you really just sort of, you know, what else? That it does. But if you can have that merry heart, find those little bits of, little gems of goodness in those difficult times, it will help us along. And the second piece, gratefulness is one piece. The second piece is forgive your hecklers. Forgiveness, the need to forgive. Um, uh, Jacqueline did a, a talk for ladies' ministry uh, probably a year, year and a half ago on the topic of forgiveness and to look at how it can deplete our bodies. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, but God didn't cancel them out and start over. He showed them the way to forgiveness, to move forward. Consequences? Yes, there were consequences. But he forgave and he moved, helped them move forward. Uh, yeah, the next one. Uh, forgiveness research, when they, again, compile, even the Adventist health studies and the, and when they look at uh, different aspects of that, some of this can, can come, come from it. Forgiving others has a strong link uh, with better self-reported mental and physical health. When we hang on to a grudge or some deep hurt, it affects us more than the person to whom we're denying that forgiveness. Holding on to hostilities um, and the resulting stress can weaken our immune system. Uh, there's a story of a, a baseball player who would often, if he, if he missed a, um, a strike, he couldn't hit the ball in his time up at base. Instead of just sort of walking away, would throw the bat or break the bat 
just as a way of admitting that he you know, hadn't done very well, just so that other people wouldn't um, belittle him. Well, there was a couple of hecklers in the um, stadium that would come to a lot of the games and would often call him out every time he swung and missed the bat, missed the ball. At one particular game, this went on for quite a while, at one particular game, he went over to the, to the edge of the field and called them down. Uh, they weren't sure if they wanted to come down, knowing how he would carry on usually when heckled. So they came down. When they came down, he faced them, picked up a bat, turned it around and handed it towards them and said, do you want a Los, An Los Angeles bat? They never heckled him afterwards. And in fact, they became his stronger supporters. They would encourage him instead of discourage him when he was there. Something changed within him to realize what I'm doing is not helping them or me. And he was able to move forward with it. Um, the, the holding on to hostilities can also weaken the immune system. Oops. Um, so it is important to get rid of that stress we're hanging on to. Um, we did that one. Okay. Ephesians says, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Something we've heard when we look at it in that larger picture, we can see it, it's just not a spiritual duty. It has that side effect of helping our health and where we're at. Mind over mood strategies. What do we do if we find we're in a spot of being negative, of looking at the black instead of the white. First, just think about our thoughts. Words do affect people. Um, they affect our psyche. We often hear, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, words do affect people and that they're there. Um, they advise thinking about the words you're saying and thinking, to really think about them and which direction are you in, what sorts of things go through your mind when you're just sitting there, sometimes stewing over stuff. Are they um, something that's going to be constructive towards making a change or just reinforcing the negative thoughts? Uh, train yourself to recognize unhealthy thinking for what it is, essentially a bad habit that leads to poor self-worth, the more we, we go on with this. To, the key to, um, by analyzing and reflecting on your thinking, you're able to see the old dysfunctional messages in your brain, and then making that change, trying to turn off that movie and put something better on in your brain than that. Um, is your mind always on overdrive, expecting the worst? Do you tend to talk in absolutes? Things like all, always, completely, no one, must, none, never, everything. You know, this always happens to me sort of mentality. If you're thinking that, step back a bit. Um, is your dialect... <laughs> dialect um, composed of HTAs, horrible, terrible, awfuls. Everything is horrible, terrible, awful. And so to try to make that change. And the second 
part is positive change is painful. When you're used to thinking in one direction, it can seem very unnatural to turn that off and try to count your blessings on days when things are really bad. And there's days when things are really bad. I know a lot of you have health problems and difficulties of other sorts, but trying to find those little bits of positive, particularly if some of those things that are terrible, awful, you can't fix, you can't change. You have to endure it for a spell. Then look at those positive things and move that little bit step forward. Uh, when you think or feel or do something about the opposite of what you're used to doing, it can feel um, what they call cognitive emotive dissonance. It just doesn't feel real. It will take time. Easy to slip back? Yes. Making change in any way, be it trying to add an extra piece of fruit or vegetable to your diet or trying to change behaviors to keep you safe when you're doing things that maybe it's not the, the best, but you can make safer choices, better choices. There's changes that we can make. Stopping the cycle of um, unhealthy, reoccurring thought patterns will take time. Taking an honest look and evaluating it will be a start. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what we need to keep front and center. And Philippians, which we read as part of our, our Bible scripture reading, Giovanni read with us this morning as part of our scripture reading. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. Some things are true, they may not be noble. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is anything, any virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy, try to think on those things. So we may have to expose our minds to less of what isn't in that to be able to start that progress process. And remember, I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. And keep that before us. Thank you.